0: And he's such an interesting character, as I've told you over the weeks, because he does speak to God, or God speaks to him. Very interesting person. But after four failed attempts to curse Israel, Balaam, the, the prophet for hire, because that's, that's really who he was, he gives up, and he and King Balak split company. And that's where we left the story off uh, last week, because the curse to or the, the uh, failed plan or plot to curse Israel uh, just didn't work. And so Revelation 2 is where Jesus speaks to the seven churches. And in one of the churches, it's uh, Pergamos. And that church had allowed evil to come into the church and infiltrate the church. And so Jesus spoke uh, to this church, and he said this in Revelation 2. He said, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who... Hold the doctrine of Balaam. So he says, in the church in Pergamos, you guys hold the doctrine of Bala- Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. Now, tonight in the study, we're going to see that sexual immorality side. So if you have little ones, you might want—I won't be risky or anything—but I'm going to read the text, and it's it's descriptive. But Balaam cannot curse the children of Israel, but he defiles Israel through telling everybody what to do. So he, remember, he came from the north, and Balak brought him all the way down to the south where Moab is in the Midianites. And after they split company, it seems as though he goes to Jericho, and he wanders. Again, I don't have any record of this in the Bible, but he's wandering home, and as he goes, he tells everybody, this is how, if you want to destroy Israel, this is how you do it, because their God will not put up with, the, the, the God of Israel will not put up with idols, or they're worshiping the idols, and if you can just bring women in and intermarry, and they bring their idols and gods, you'll destroy the nation, and so he has set the tone for that plot, and now here in Numbers 25, we get the result of his counsel to the Moabites, to the Midianites. Those are the people that appear here. And we'll see this in a couple of weeks, but let me show you real quick before I pray. Numbers 31, 16, behind me on the screen. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam. There it is. His, his reference and his counsel to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor, that's Chapter 25, that we're going to read tonight, the incident pure. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So we're going to see a lot of people dying as a result of judgment. One commentator said about this text what the armies of the other nations could not do, a smile and a wink from the madams of Moab and Midian could. Very interesting. Again, that's the backdrop of this, this story. And we get a new character here. He's one of the priest's grandson's son of Israel. His name is Phineas. Some of you might know, but I've entitled this section. It's it's another really fun story in some aspects, The Point of Phineas. If you know the story, you understand that little pun of a title. But let's pray, and then we'll read verse 1 together. Father, we are so grateful that we can come to this cool sanctuary tonight and, and just just relax and hear your word in the middle of our week, just to get through this day, Lord, right in the center of our week to gather together and see our brothers and sisters. Lord, thank you for the family of God and our family that's fellowshipping together at, up, up at the beach for the week. Bless them and keep them safe, Lord, and may their fellowship be sweet. But tonight, as we gather in your name, we pray that you'd speak to us through these Old Testament historical accounts and that we would learn and apply your word. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's begin reading there in verse 1. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. There it is right there. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, And the people, as a reference to God's people, they ate and bowed down to the Moabite and the Midianite gods. So Israel was joined to Baal at, there's the name, Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal, the false god of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, right in front of Moses, and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door. They're at the door of the tabernacle, the place of worship, and this guy brings his woman that he's hooking up with from Midianite, right in front of everyone, in front of Moses, the gall of this guy. And it says, they, as they're weeping at the door of meeting, verse 7, now when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel, and the woman, through her body. And the word for body there is bellies, one spear through both bellies. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Again, this is one of those stories. If you've read the Bible, you you know this story. Uh, It's one that probably isn't told a lot in the children's ministry or the Sunday school. It's one of the, you know, they talk about Balaam and the donkey, and then they kind of, whoosh, they jump right over this one for good reason, right? But there are some things that we need to learn here, and I'm going to move quickly through our text tonight. But the first five verses here, Israel's sexual immorality with Moab, that's what's highlighted. The people began to commit harlotry there in verse 1 with the women of Moab. So the women of Moab, have this plot, and it's been fed to them by this woman named Cosby. We'll see her, Cosby, not, not the, no, not, not that one. This is, this is a Midianite woman here, and her name is Cosby. She's the, she's the daughter of the king. So the king knows the deal, that if we can just sneak in these idols, if we can get some of our good-looking Moabite women to go by and seduce the men of Israel, and get them to you know, come to the feast where they would have these orgies as part of their worship of Baal. It was all part of that. It's, it's actually very well documented. When You, you can even go to uh, ridiculous websites that, are, that really aren't accurate like Wiki, and in there you can find some of this information. But historically, we know that these people were very idolatrous, Very sensual in their worship, and I won't go any farther, but again, the, the idol worship and this sexual activity was combined here. Now, it probably started with some kind of neighborly, just a wink, like that one author suggested, just walking by and saying, hi, guys, you know, just to come to the barbecue, we're, we're going we're, it's, to, it's worship, but it's, it's okay. It's just, we're just going to barbecue some animals, and you can eat some of the barbecued flesh that we've offered to our gods. It probably was done in a way that was just, just come and be a part of the culture, the culture around you. There, there's nothing wrong with the culture around. It's changing. Don't be a Victorian Christian. Don't stay in the dark. Come out and venture out and, and do something new. Try something different. Live a little bit, you know. Drink this, smoke this, live this way. Really, that's that's what they were doing. The these girls, and it's again an idol. And these young, this new generation. Remember, this is the new generation. The rest have died from the 38 march through the wilderness, just as God had had. Uh, 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 cursed them and the judgment on them for their disobedience at Kadesh Barnea. And so this new generation, they're learning, but they're now challenged right before they get to the promised land because all this takes place just before God's going to bless them. That's the, that's the fascinating um, uh, part of this story. The, this story is is placed right alongside God, It's going to bless his people. He's going to lead them into the land. He's going to divide the land and give it to his people. They finally made it. His promised people are going to take the promised land. But right before they do so, they fall. They fail miserably here. Baal, or Baal as some pronounce it, was a fertility god. And it was believed by the worshiper of Baal that if you would sacrifice your baby, and they did that, in fire, if you uh, sacrificed anything, that if you were a farmer that you, you would have great crops the next year, you'd become a, a very wealthy farmer, or your, your sheep would grow, your goats, your herds would prosper, if you would only come and sacrifice a living person to the God of Baal. And again, this was, is well-known and well-documented, but worshiping and eating these feasts and having these uh, this sensual activities surrounded the worship of Baal. It's known as sacred prostitution, where they would you know, convince the people. And when we were in Greece and we were at Corinth, and we looked up on that mountain there and you could see the temple up up on the mountain right over the city and it's where the temple of Aphrodite was and it's where the every evening the prostitutes would come down and say hey you know let's give me some money and you can be spiritual that was it was all a guys it was all a, and and that's how they made their money up there in the in the temple they disguised it with religious covering but again idolatry is something that that God wants his people to separate them from. Now, here's the application. It was Augustine who said this. Notice this quote. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshiped. I I think that's a great uh, quote there from him. The problem is with compromise. And, And the application for us tonight is really the world around us is trying to conform us into their mold, and they're trying to do it in so many different ways. And it's really the devil, it's Satan's plot to bring you down as a Christian. And the world around you is trying to, to desensitize you to the evils and sensual things all around us every day. Instead of being holy, the Christian man starts to visualize and see and fantasize, and pretty soon he's in a world where he can't escape. And there are men that that are addicted to pornography. And they really, truly love God. That's the, that's the problem. They, they love God, but they're addicted. They're stuck, and they can't, get, they can't escape it. And the world just says, oh, it's cool, you know, or, or alcohol. Any addiction can be that way. So as believers, we need to understand that we can at any time fall into sin, and we need to see sin and, and back away right away. We, we need to live a holy life. Why? Because God wants to use us as a te- living testimony for his son to share Christ. You cannot share Christ. Your testimony is diluted max to the max if you dabble with the world and then tell people they need to get saved. Get saved from what? You're living just like we are. And so it's it, this, this compromise that, that we see all throughout uh, history in the Old Testament and, and something that we deal with as well. There are four warnings That if you do not recognize them, they will really, uh, you'll compromise in a moral sense. Number one, a failure to commit ahead of time to obey God's word. If you're not strong in the word and if you're not committing, God, I want to walk in purity. I want to walk in holiness. And I know that I'm going to this wedding of some old friends and I know there's going to be tons of booze there. And I used to be there, but I I don't want to be there. So you commit your life to the Lord first. And when you get there, you say, no, that's not me anymore. But if you don't do that, you're going to compromise. Number two, underestimating evil and flirting with dangerous temptations or enticing fantasies. Oh, I I can do this. Nobody's watching. It's late at night. Click, 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 or watch something. I can do this. How about a sudden deliberate choice just to give in to sin. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm a Christian. I'm saved by the grace of God. I'll just do it anyway. Or a failure to consider the costly consequence of sin. Every sin will do the same thing that every other sin's done. Sin brings forth what? Death. Always does, always will. So for the believer, we have to, be, we have, to have a plan before we get there. We need to be committed to the word of God. Otherwise, we're going to compromise with the world around us. The bottom line is sin for the Christian is a choice. But God has given you everything that you need so that you won't succumb and compromise. Here's a great verse behind me on the screen, Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. It's not your armor. It's not my armor. It's God's armor, and he's made it available to the believer. You can read about all of that in Ephesians chapter 6. But Paul says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Then he goes on and says, For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And then he says, Therefore, take on the whole armor of God. This is not just a fleshly battle. This is a spiritual battle. And when you compromise just a little bit, man, the onslaught of evil is going to come and it'll be hard to resist at that point. So compromise in any way, we need to be careful. We need to put on God's armor to protect us in our daily battles. We put all of it on, put on the whole armor of God, Paul says. In other words, don't compromise. That's not what Israel did. Notice verse three, so Israel was joined to Baal at Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Again, Balaam, in the previous chapters, he was trying to curse Israel, but God wouldn't allow it. Remember, Balaam took him to this vantage point, and said, there they are, curse them." And he, he comes out to curse them, and he blesses them. Oh, stop, don't bless them. Here, let's try this vantage point. Come over here, look at them again. Try it again, and Balaam couldn't do it because God would not allow his people Be cursed, and so he tried, he wanted to do it, but God wouldn't allow him to. And now, Israel brings the curse upon itself because of their sin against the Lord something the enemy, Balak, the king, could never do. He couldn't overwhelm the size of the the army of Israel. And we're going to see the numbers are 600,000 when we move into the next chapter. 600,000 man army. Bala could not go against them, he'd lose. So that's why he brought Balaam down to try to curse the people. But now because of what they've done internally, they're going to fail. Again, it's a perfect illustration of the church today. Let's just for a moment think with me on this, the church today, you know, attacks from the outside Will never infiltrate the church. The gates of hell will not prevail, Jesus said in Matthew 16. Here's the verse behind me on the screen. Jesus said the hell you know, can't injure God's church. The fiery darts, little but God's church is strong and you'll see it around the world. God's church is happening in places where you'd think, in China? communist China. There's been an underground church there for years. I remember when our, our pastor, John Miller, from this church years ago, I was part of this fellowship back in the 70s, and and uh, in the in the early 80s, I think it was 1980 or 1981, he went on a trip with Skip Heitzig, and I think it was uh, Bill Welsh, and some of his friends, and they smuggled Bibles into China. Did, do you remember hearing him talk about that? And I remember... Uh, him talking about that for years and how, you know, for, it was a pretty daring thing to do. I mean, you could get thrown in a Chinese prison somewhere. But the wonderful stories that they told, some of which were like they loaded the bag up so heavy they could barely pick it up. And Bibles are heavy. They're books. And so he said, we're lugging these books, you know, to get on the plane, you know, and we're lugging these books. And, and the guards come, Chinese guards say, what's in the, oh, just, just my clothes, my stuff you know and he said John said that the one guy opened the bag looked at the bibles closed the bag and let him go now whether he was a christian or god covered his eyes I don't know but all to say that they were smuggling bibles in and there's been a real strong church even in communist china for many many years god has his witnesses god has his church satan cannot ruin the church from the outside. That's the the point here. But what will destroy a family, a church, a ministry happens from within. It's always that way. We have many examples in the Bible for that. A church that, that wants to be modern and wants to be cool and wants to be hip, so they they have a different style of of just relating to people when they talk and and walk around the stage and and mention Jesus and his love, but really never teach the Bible to their people. And so the people don't believe in the inerrancy of the Scriptures. The pastor doesn't teach that the Bible is the authority. And so the people don't have that as their authority. And what they do is, is they go away from the church, and when somebody attacks the Bible or whatever, they, they don't know what to say. They, they're unsure. And the pastor doesn't even believe in inerrancy, which I think is a tragedy. Because then the world dictates what the church teaches. So the world gets in the church through pastors that don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture and people that that are connected with all kinds of sin on the outside, and they bring it in. They bring all this stuff in. And then marriage between anybody goes because the people in the church, well, that's, yeah, that's the culture. That's who we are. There's nothing. I mean, Jesus didn't really say that. Well, yeah, he really did say that. In fact, Jesus said this about homosexuality, Matthew 19, verse 4, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? If you believe in the Bible, if you believe in Genesis that God created male and female, and marriage is monogamous, it's a lifelong c- commitment, and God has made that union. If you believe that and you believe the scriptures, then it won't be a it's a no-brainer for you when somebody says this or says that. But but what happens is they come in the church, and because the world says this, I was I was back east just recently with my wife in, in the fall, and we were driving through, and I was just surprised at how many churches had the big rainbows on the outside churches, and it just the, with the title, all-inclusive, everyone's welcome here, and I think every church should welcome everyone here, anyone's welcome in this fellowship, but the truth will be taught. I won't demean anybody. You can live how you want to live, but God says in terms of marriage, he's... he's He's the one that's defined marriage between one woman, one man for a lifetime. And if we, as a church, if we capitulate to that because of the culture around us, if we compromise because of the culture around us, then we'll fall apart. Our authority is is God's word, and we need to hold on to God's word. Liberal liberal churches across America have all these so-called Christians that deny Those kinds of things. And again, I think the church and and the pastor and the elder's responsibility is to guard the church from those kind of things. When somebody comes in with that attitude, we don't kick them out, but we challenge them with the truth of God's word. And we don't budge. We don't step back. We don't compromise. We step in. We lean in and say, no, this is what God's word says, and this is who we are as a fellowship. We don't assault people. We don't scream or yell at people. We don't handcuff and drag them off the lot. But we take God's word and we apply it. And the Holy Spirit handles the rest. The church has to be on guard against any kind of cultural influences that are outside of true biblical teaching. We we need to firmly understand the word of God. We need to hold on to the, the word of God. Think about this, too. Jesus, and we're going to talk about this on Sunday. <clears throat> Jesus was betrayed not by somebody outside, not by a Roman, not even by a scribe or a Pharisee. He was betrayed by who? Who? Jesus. On the inside, by one of his closest disciples, Judas, who had been with him for three years. The church will fail from the inside, not from the outside. Jesus was betrayed from the inside. That's what the doctrine of Balaam is all about. When you hear about the doctrine of Balaam, it's apostate, it's people that that say they believe in God but then they step away from it and allow this rush of evil, this compromise in lifestyle and life thought and, and the way they live and the things they think. They don't think biblically anymore and they compromise. And that's the same principle that works in Christians today. The mightiest attack of Satan against us can never do as much, uh, never do as much damage on me or you as the sin inside. That, that's, that's why we go to church, Christian. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Because it's me. The enemy is me. It's in here. In my flesh, Paul says, all sin dwells. This is what I have to change. This heart, it's evil. And I need the Holy Spirit every day, and I need the word of God to transform me into the image of Christ. And there's only really one way to do that. In fact, James, notice what James says. I love this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. It's internal. It's not external. You can't blame shift your sin. Oh, it was that. It was the party. It was the people that got me to smoke the dope. It was the girl that was so beautiful. It was the whatever. No, it's you. It's your heart. That's what these people were dealing with, the sin from the inside. Balaam couldn't do it on the outside, but now. It happens on the inside. And notice the judgment, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun. Wow. I mean, that seems pretty drastic. I mean, you read that and you go, it really is. Why did, and then he, and then all the elders are called, go kill those people. It's such a drastic consequence. But remember, remember, remember. God has separated these people from every other nation, called them out to follow him, and then he gave them 10 commandments. Remember what the first commandment is. No other gods. What have they done? They've just joined themselves with Baal of Peor. And this was the plot of King Balak. This was the plot of this other king that we're going to read about and his daughter, And because they openly flaunt their sin, especially this dude named Zimri, God is going to openly judge them. So it seems very harsh, but God is going to lead his people into this nation. He's going to bless them and give them land, and he wants them to be holy. He doesn't want any of this false god or idolatry going into the the land. But there's this man named Zimri, according to verse 14, and he's the one that that is going to flaunt his sin. Notice verse 6. He he gets the point here. That's my, my little pun. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman. He's flaunting, he's walking with this beautiful woman right in front of everybody, in the sight of Moses, and in the sight of the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door, because people are dying. Their family member just got hung out in the sun. Oh, Lord, they're coming to the temple, their their tabernacle, and they're saying, Lord, please forgive us, please forgive us. You can can just see the scene. And this guy, bold guy, walks up there with this beautiful woman on his arm and, and just parades right in front of Moses in the door of the tabernacle of meeting. I mean, it's outrageous when you think about it. Her name is Cosby, by the way. We'll see that in a minute, but... They, they go right into the temple, they go into a tent, and they commit their act of immorality. And it's in the very act of immorality there that we see the, 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 their end. But, but Zimri, it's interesting, and his priestess partner, this woman, she's a, she's a, 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 a worshiper of Baal, And she's the one that's bringing, you know, to come to the barbecue, come and let's lie together, let's have this tryst here, right in front of the, you know, God's people. I mean, she's the evil woman in this. I mean, the guy goes along with it, and he's just as bad. But they had intentionally violated the tabernacle, intentionally violated Moses and all those people. One author says they made the very entrance of the tabernacle into a bordello. (laughs) Verse seven. Now, when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he was so mad. He, from the, among the congress, he took a javelin in his hand, and he runs in there. He runs after the man of Israel into the tent, and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, right through her belly, through their belly. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were twenty-four thousand. So this is interesting. It's not Moses. It's not Aaron. It's not Eliezer. We've seen Eliezer. That's the son of Aaron. They're all the, the priests. You know, Moses is, is, is that type of Christ, but he's still a priest over the nation. He's the, the mediator between God and the people. And then the priests are doing this work of atonement, and they're, they're taking the, the animal and, and uh, uh, slaying the animal, and the blood is shed for the remission of sins of the people. They're the ones that do that work, that atone for the sins of the nation so here you have this young man atoning for the sins of the nation. It's really a bold, bold, courageous move that, that he does here. Uh, it's, it's fascinating when you look at it. But Moses and, and Aaron, again, they're not involved. It's Phineas here. His name is pronounced different, but I've always used this, so I'm not going to go into the way you pronounce his name. These names are real interesting. They all have meaning. His name means uh, Brass, son of Brass, and Brass was the medal of judgment in the Bible, so I'm sure that's how he got his name as well. But Phineas, again, he's the son of Eliezer and the grandson of Aaron. So he's a priest, and he's zealous. He's angry when he sees the, this unrighteous thing happen. This guy, what? You bring this priestess in right in front of Moses, and then you commit this act right here in our tabernacle? I mean, he's mad. He is—he's at his wit's end. So notice here in verse ten, though he's commended by God, God sees this as good. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal." God was so upset at this. And he's commending now Phineas. He's saying he did the right thing. He acted out in his zeal here. And I I, I love that truth about Phineas here. It wasn't only Phineas' obedience that God noticed here. It's, It's his zeal, that word zeal there, my zeal among them. Zeal is kana in the Hebrew. Interesting, it means to be jealous or envious. And so here you have this young man. He's a young man, which is, it's a beautiful picture of a, uh, our young worship team that are passionate about the Lord. Don't ever, don't ever put a young person down that wants to serve God. Always encourage them, even if they do it, you know, in, in a way that, that might seem childlike. That's wonderful. God loves it. Here, Phineas, he's, he's jealous. He's envious for his God. It's, it's, it's a beautiful portrait of a, a passionate man that's following the Lord and he, he acts out in a righteous way. Again, there's nothing more important for you and I as Christians than to be jealous about our God and to want to get together and glorify his name, to sing his name while you're driving down the freeway and everybody else is mad. You know, you're praising the Lord. I pulled up into a Costco to get gas a few weeks ago. And I admittedly was somewhat annoyed because right next to me was, you know, so you've, you've been there. And so I look over, I look over, and it's a sister in the Lord. And she's singing to this, it's like a rap Christian, because I can hear the lyrics, you know. And I'm like annoyed at the music, but I'm going, well, that's, that's cool, you know, it's cool. Then I, I pump the rest of my gas going, hi, sis, you know. She was jiving and having a great time. It was It was pretty funny, but... The truth is is that we need to be zealous and passionate for our God. We need to do all we can to please God. It doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter what people think of who we are. We should just be zealous for the Lord, serving the Lord. A a, a story just pops into my mind, like David, who danced before the Lord in his underwear, and his, his precious bride, Michael, who put him down. Didn't the king behave himself gloriously out in front of all the people when he danced in his underwear? Remember her? her. And David was like, I love my God. I had to take my outer robe off because I was dancing and so excited about God and the the ark coming into Israel. I was so excited about it coming back to Jerusalem. We need to be passionate about our God. A passionate, passionate, Zealous Christian doesn't care whether he pleases man or offends them because all he cares about is God and God's honor. Sounds like Paul, notice this verse behind me, 2 Timothy. Paul says this, i fought the good fight. i finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. That is a... Wonderful biography of a passionate man, Paul. He loved the Lord, spread the church all over. Phineas was such a man, and because of his passion for God, his zealous, his enviousness for for God, he's commended here. Verse 12, therefore say, I behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. This is God giving to Phineas a covenant of peace. And it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant, an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. So God blesses Phineas right there on the spot with a promise that as a descendant of the priests, his grandfather, Aaron, his father, Eliezer, and that this priesthood is going to continue. It's going to be blessed. So you've got you to think that Aaron's learned some things about the golden calf incident, right? You've got to learn that Eliezer learned from his dad and now the grandson is learning to love God and serve God with everything. He's, very, he's a very passionate young man and I love the fact that he was doing the priestly job. That was to make atonement for sin, to expiate sin. He's, he's dealing with sin through blood sacrifice. That's God's method. And of course, Jesus became the final sacrifice, right, who died for us, his blood was shed. Wonderful service last Sunday night, by the way. We had communion and worship. It was just a glorious time to worship God. But that's, this is what Phineas represents here. He, he did a priestly work executing God's plan by wiping out this blatant, outrageous sin of Zimri here and Cosby. Again, the psalmist writes about him in Psalm 106. Look at this verse behind me, Psalm 106. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped, and that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. So the Jews really know this story. They understand this, and I think we should give it its proper place. And then notice Verse 14 here, we get the names of this immoral couple. The name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with a Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of the father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zor. He was the head of the people of the father's house of Midian. So he's the king of Midian. So she's the princess of Midian. So this was all a plot. This was all designed. Where did they get this idea that they could infiltrate the children of Israel? Balaam. They got it all from, from Balaam. So there was this, they were trying to take down the children of Israel with seduction and idolatry, just as Balaam suggested. And notice verse 16, God's judgment. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, harass the Midianites and attacked them, for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. Again, if you recall the story a few chapters ago, the children of Israel are singing and they're worshipping, they're, they're, they're behaving properly. They stopped their whining for just a moment. And after the, remember after the snake bites and they looked up at the pole and they looked to live and they're singing and worshiping God and they get to these borders and Moses says, hey, we're just going to go around the outskirts. We won't bother your crops. We're not going to go through your fields. We won't take anything. We're just going to just give us free passage. And the Moabite king says, no way, we'll attack you. So they had to go a long way around. That made them upset. Remember, they got all upset. They went around, and they're going in another way, and, and they wanted to go through Midian. And, and, okay, can we go through your land? We're not going to upset anything. Just We're going to take the highway, the freeway. We'll just go straight through. And they said no. And then they brought this upon them. Moses didn't want any conflict, but because of the Midianites' plot against Israel, God ordered Israel to attack the Midianites. So again, there's just there's no tolerance here to the people that brought sin into the camp. And God judged them and allowed Israel to go to war with them. Now here's the conclusion here. Phineas, he stopped the plague which took 24,000 lives. It was going to continue, and he had to stop it. And this story is, keep this in mind because next week we're going to do the next two chapters. If you look at the next chapter, you're going to say, how are you going to do this, Pastor Lee? How are you going to get through that one chapter in one evening? We're not going to read it all. You can read it this week. It's it's a census, so I'll tell you the significance of it, but it's the next story in chapter 27 that we kind of bounce into because all these people die and all this one family all their the men die and so the women know they're going to go into the promised land but they don't have any men in their name for their land and so they go it's a very interesting chapter chapter 27 they go to Moses and they say this is wrong cuz our husbands died I mean they were you know we we're loyal we we love God we worship God but it was our husbands that got drugged out, and they died. They were hung. So what, what's in it for us as, as women? You know, God loves widows. You know that, right? And we'll see that. It's a beautiful picture, a beautiful story that we're going to get into in chapter 27. But here's, here's the takeaway for tonight, holiness for the believer. God wants us to separate from sin. He wants us not to compromise with the world. We're to be separate from the world. And holiness begins the same way it always has begun in our lives. Holiness began in your life when you confessed your sin to the Lord. First John 1 John 1.9, obviously, notice this verse behind me. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I love that. That's when you begin your walk with the Lord. You've been cleansed and forgiven. But then as you work in the world and you get dirty, you get... You get Stuff happens around you, and so you need to go back to the Lord again and confess your sin. That's how you stay holy. You confess your sin over and over again. And as you do that, you start to see sin for what it is and how it hurts other people. And you begin to pray for them, and you begin to uphold them and and encourage them to walk holy before the Lord, because that's what God wants, separation from sin. Christian should encourage one another to to hate the sin and to stay away from sin and to love God more and more and more. I I believe that God is looking for the same zealous heart that Phineas had. Men and women who see the world for what it is, it'll destroy you and just separate from it. How does that apply if you're working in the world every day with a job or whatever? How does that apply you shine for Jesus Christ. You live for Jesus. You act according to the word. Don't let the world influence you. You influence them. Don't let their threats or their whining or whatever. You just live for Jesus. He, he's got you in his hands. He's leading you and guiding you. You have the Holy Spirit to help you to give, say the right words you know, in a, any situation. And it's up to us to know the scriptures and to be committed to the Lord and to be zealous for the Lord. Because I really believe that God wants us to be like Phineas. He wants us to be like that, zealous to love him. God wants his church to bring healing and help to the world. Second Chronicles 7, notice this verse, you You're well aware of this one. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. You see, I can't influence the world until I'm first clean. The church cannot affect the world around them until we take care of our sin in the camp. And that's why this verse is so important. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And then notice, turn from what? their wicked ways. Then I will hear. Man, the Lord hasn't heard my prayer. It seems like there's something between me and God. I I can't get any, my prayers aren't going very far. Well, maybe there's some wicked way. Maybe there's something you need to admit to the Lord. Maybe there's some sin that you need to forsake, even tonight, as the Holy Spirit reveals it. I don't, I'm not here. I I I can't see it. I don't even want to know it. I deal with my own. But to admit your sin and confess your sin, that's where we start. And then as a church, we humble ourselves and we pray. We do that immense prayer on Thursday. The women do it on Monday. Small groups, like even tonight, there was a group back here praying. We pray at home. We pray in the car. We pray as Christians and we seek the Lord so that we could be holy and learn from a man like Phineas who had the courage and the zeal to do the right thing. You wouldn't compromise. Let me close with some words from Max Lucato, who said, God never said the journey would be easy, but he did promise the arrival would be worthwhile. Yes. Let's pray.